Hey, I'll tell you what, um, it's been a fun series so far, and uh, last week, last week we talked about, we really focused our attention on three specific dangers uh, that this ever-changing world of social media uh, provide for us, really, uh, brings into our lives. And last week I focused most of my attention on the adults, and obviously the students um, would get a lot out of that, just, you know, because no matter what you say, it applies to everything, everyone, but... This week, I want to focus most of my attention on the students. That doesn't mean the adults get to go to sleep, because as of like last week, I'm sure this week, I guarantee you, will apply to you as well, to the adults as well. All right, so kind of we're all on this together. But I just wanted to focus a little bit on the students this morning. As I was writing this sermon, I was thinking of how I could present these struggles, these threats, in a way that uh, it doesn't come out sounding like white noise. Because I want to lay out some threats that some pre- threats and pressures that junior high and high school students deal with, even younger. Uh, but you know what happens as an adult sometimes? You kind of lay these things out and you sound like that white noise, like Charlie Brown's, you know, the adults in Charlie Brown, wah, 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 you know, and kind of goes in one ear, out the other. Please, uh, you know, stay focused with me this morning, okay? Because um, my desire is not to sound like white noise, and I, and I hope I succeeded this morning as I, as I lay this out. Our students are under tremendous pressure. They're under tremendous pressure to conform, to fit in. They are faced with, with the pressure to compromise at every turn. I mean, I don't, I'm not sure if you remember what it was like being in junior high or especially being in high school. Just that pressure to fit in, to conform to what everyone else is doing. It's so easy for adults now to sit, sit back and say, I don't see why you, you know, go along with all your friends. If your friend jumped off a cliff, would you jump off a cliff? You say that after like 30 because I think your brain just kind of shuts down and you forget what it was like to be under that kind of pressure and that kind of pressure cooker. Well, this morning, I want to I address three of those pressures and give you some principles that will, will, will help you overcome them. Three of those pressures and some principles that will help you overcome them. Okay, number one, the first pressure is allowing social media to control you. Allowing social media to control you. Some social media has become, for many, an addiction. It's literally become an addiction. In an article by John Wolford, he says this, A global media study called The World Unplugged asked a thousand students aged 17 to 23 to abstain from any form of media for a whole 20, I love this, a whole 24 hours. A whole 24 hours. The study run by the International Center for Media and Public Agenda University of Maryland compiled surveys from adults, from young adults in 10 countries around the world, including Lebanon, China, Uganda, uh, Argentina, and the United States. The researchers found that if the students were able to completely abstain, and they said that's a big if, they they reported anxiety, cravings, and depression. They felt disconnected from the outside world and felt as though they had lost a part of themselves by extension. A student from the United Kingdom said that he was, he was an addict. He said, I'm an addict. An American student said that he was itching like a crackhead because he couldn't use his cell phone. A student from Slovakia said they sometimes felt like they were dead. Now remember, this is a 20, 20, I'm sorry, this is a 24 hour period. 
So that one person felt like a crackhead, the other person felt like they were addicted, the other person felt like sometimes they were just dead. How do you, how do you know what, you, what death feels like? I don't know. But the Slovakians know what death feels like, so I guess they, they said, it feels like I was dead. There were certain times that I was dead. The article concluded, what does the study teach, according to the researchers? That young people are pretty much unable to control their everyday lives without social media. Whether addiction to technology is a real condition or not, people seem to feel addicted, and really, that's all that matters. Now, I, I, I'm going I'm to point out the obvious to everyone in the room. We have only one master. We have only one Lord. One master, one Lord of our lives. So we've got to keep that in mind as we're going through this process. If, if you are consumed, okay, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if, you're, if you say, if you would raise, if I said, if you're a follower of Christ, you're a Christian, raise your hand. If you would raise your hand and you're a follower of Christ, then you have one master, you have one Lord. So if you are consumed with tweeting or texting or emailing or Facebook or any kind of social media, you need to think again or think through how you're using it. If it has consumed you and become a master, if you will, of your life, then you need to think through how you are using it. In 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and verse 12, it says this. It tells us, Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. I will not be mastered by anything. I will not be consumed by anything. That's what it's talking about. I will not be controlled by or addicted to anything. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 19, it says, They promised them freedom, but they themselves were slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. A person is a slave. And, you know, we can beat around the bush and say anything. You can, you can play it in your mind any way you'd like. You are a slave to whatever has mastered you. And, and I'm, I'm not sure if anyone here would say, I felt like I was dead. Um, you know, I, I felt like a crackhead without my cell phone. And I'm not criticizing. I'm really not. I understand what they're talking about here. I mean, they're, these, these people are literally addicted to their phones. They're addicted to Facebook. They're addicted to something. And so we need to, we need to, you need to ask yourself, I mean, is, is that where I am right now in my life? Is that, what, is that what, what I'm dealing with right now in my life? What has mastered you? If, you? if something has mastered you, you are a slave to that thing, whatever it is. My friends, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are a slave to only one person, Jesus. The only thing we should be enslaved to is service to Jesus Christ. That's where our complete loyalty should lie. That's what we should be consumed by, our relationship with God and Jesus Christ. These aren't crazy ideas. My fr- these, are not, these are not outrageous thoughts of mine. And all I'm doing is trying to encourage you to help you see if something else is consuming you, if something else has mastered you, you are a slave to that thing. If something else has mastered you, if you feel like you're, you're beginning to, it's beginning to consume too much of your time, if you feel like this morning you're saying, and you're just, it's just between you and God, you know, this is really consuming too much of my energy, too much of my time, I can't do without it. If you can honestly say in your heart, I can't do without it, then what you need to do, 
for a 24-hour period of time is you need to give up whatever it is. You need to make a covenant with God and you need to give up whatever it is that you feel has mastered you. I want you to just close your eyes just for a second with me. I want you to close your eyes and I want you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to bow your heads and I want you to ask the question, what has mastered me? Is it Facebook? Is it your cell phone? When you lose your cell phone or someone or your parents take it away or or something happens, how do you feel? Has Has it mastered you? Do you feel like you're disconnected from life itself without it? I want you to make a covenant with God to give up whatever it is for one day. Let me give you 20 seconds here. Just pray and, and, and commit to God, promise to God that you're going to give up that whatever that is for one day and not allow it to master you. So you can think through, you can think through what it's doing to your life spiritually and you can think through the fact that you, are, you, are, you are, should not be mastered by anything except for God. Just take a moment and make that covenant with God that you're going to give it up for one day. I think we should all give up something that we love the most for just one 24-hour period. Make that covenant with God. All right. The second pressure, and this is a huge one, and this is not just for, for teens, okay? This is, this is for everyone. Um, the second pressure is the pressure to gossip. The pressure to gossip. Man, overwhelming. I remember when I was a kid, um, and I would go on vacation. We didn't go on a lot of vacations, but when I would go on vacation, sometimes I'd be like so bummed that I was going on vacation because I knew when I got back, I would be an outcast, by the time I got home in the summer with all my friends, I'd be an outcast. Because as soon as I went away or anyone else went away on vacation, everyone would talk about them behind their back. And by the time they, you get back from vacation, no one likes you anymore. Everybody's angry with you. And I knew it was coming. I thought, okay, one week's vacation, two weeks of making, figuring this all out and getting, every, you know, getting back in everybody's good graces. It didn't matter. People would, people would just make things up and talk. They had, you know, when you're, when you're poor and you have nothing better, you sit around the apartment complex talking about other people, and that's what you do for the summer. And that's what people would do. So if anyone dared go away on vacation, um, they came back. They were, they, were, they were a pariah. They were an outcast, man. It was, it was bad. And you had took, like I said, a week or two to kind of work your way back into people's good graces so you could have a relationship again. And I'm telling you what, with, the new, with this, new, this new social media that's going on, this new ever-changing social media world, gossip has, has become an epidemic. And I, this is what I've been told, okay, by the students. Um, you can have two or three or four students on a couch, especially if there's, say, three to four. Three or four students on a couch. Now, number one, instead of talking to each other, they'll text each other. Okay, so don't, they don't turn to the person and say, hey, what do you want to watch? It's like, what do you want to watch? You know, well, I'm not sure. What do you want to watch? I'm not sure. What do you want to watch? What do you want to watch? And they, you know, thank goodness for unlimited texting now, because what do you want to watch? And so they'll text back and forth. I'm just joking. They text more significant things than that, I'm sure. Uh, I always do. And so they're texting back and forth. And, and here's what happens, though. You can have three people on the couch, and the two people on the end can be gossiping about the person in the middle, and they don't even know it. They don't have to, hey, can I see you in the other room for a second? None of that anymore. It's just like... You ever, you ever notice how so-and-so sits? You know what I mean? 
You know, you ever notice, blah, blah, you know, you ever notice, you ever notice, you ever notice, bang, and all of a sudden the person's being gossiped about, and they're right there in the room. You're actually touching arms or something. You're sitting right next to the person on the couch, and you're gossiping, or the person in the same room. It has become an absolute epidemic. See, the Greek word for gossip that's found in Romans chapter 1, verse 29, literally means a whisper. It's a whisper. Gossip is, gossip is basically whispering behind your back in order to intentionally cause you harm, to intentionally hurt the other person. So you, you kind of whisper, and I'm telling you, it doesn't matter if it's this kind of whisper or this kind of whisper. Actually, I think this kind of whisper is even worse. I mean, it's not even a whisper. It's just like you can actually talk without saying anything. It's a whisper with the intention of hurting, harming the other person. You want to say something negative about them to harm their reputation or whatever the case may be. See, gossip is, especially uh, when you're texting or, you know, whatever, gossip is quickly told, it's quickly received, it's quickly, and it's even more quickly spread now, and it's quickly, the worst thing of all, it's quickly believed People believe it. I think it's absolutely amazing. And I'm going to tell you this over and over and over again. 80% of what you hear on television is not true. It's, you know, it's, it's either a little bit of truth mixed with a little bit of a lie. You know, a whole truth, a half truth presented as the whole truth is an untruth. A half truth presented as the whole truth is an untruth. And we're in for it now for the next two months, my friends, to have truths, you know what I mean, presented as whole truths. But it is. And that's what gossip is so many times. And let me just say this, too, because someone came up, to me, uh, came up to me after the first service and said, hey, make sure you clearly communicate that even if you're telling the truth and you're talking behind someone's back, it's still gossip. If someone does something you don't like, even if what you're saying is true about the person, they actually did do that, it is still gossip. You're not talking to that person in order to build them up, in order to connect in relationship. So that's what gossip does. You talk behind someone's back. It's it's quickly told, it's quickly heard, it is quickly spread, and it is quickly believed. And I I want to encourage you to, to not believe everything you hear about other people. And if you're in the position where someone, and I I know all of you have been in this position, which is always amazing why we continue to gossip. We know how painful it is to ourselves, but we do. And what happens is, you know, if, if you are the person who has been gossiped about, if you're a person and someone has gossiped about you, and, you know, you, your first tendency is you want to fight back, you want to call everybody else up, you want to tell, here's what you do, especially at work. Someone gossiped about you at work, maybe you go and sit down, it would be good to sit down with the person who started it, if you can find it out, and just talk to them, walk them through, try to, try to reconcile that relationship, or maybe just have a confrontation. But otherwise, don't go around trying to, trying to, you know, text everybody else and talk about that person. They're a liar. There's a, there's a phrase that I love. Truth and time walk hand in hand. Truth and time walk hand in hand. They walk together. So you live your life. You be the person that God created you to be. You be that person. Truth and time walk hand in hand. Over a period of time, the person who's gossiping, the person who's negative, that will, they will be shown for what they are, and you will be shown for who you are over a period of time. So you don't have to fight every little thing that someone says. 
You know, it happened when people say things about me or people say, you know, write this or talk about that. You know, I've been here since 1990 in Cincinnati and there have been some ridiculous things said about me. And instead of fighting back and having to defend yourself against every person who decides to say things about you that aren't true, I just live my life. What you see is what you get from the pulpit and outside in my house, when I'm at the church, when I'm hanging around, doesn't matter. What you see is what you get with me. And my attitude is I'll just live my life. You know, I'm not nowhere near perfect, but I'll just live my life to the best of my ability, try to conform to the image of Jesus Christ and let everyone make their own decision about who I am. So I don't get consumed with what people are saying. Truth and time walk hand in hand. The book of Proverbs warns us against the deadly allure and effect of gossip. This, it's this constant allure to kind of to pull us in. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 8. I love this verse. I love this verse. It, it, it tells us that the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. I want you to soak in the imagery here. The, the, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. It says it goes down to a man's inmost parts. You take it, mmm, tastes so good, and you know, you, you hear it, and it kind of goes down, and, and it goes into your inmost parts. See, whether we admit it or not, we are fascinated and consumed with gossip. Why do you think shows like Entertainment Tonight and some of these reality shows are so popular? Because they're all about gossip. So much, about, so much of it is about gossip, and we are, we are fascinated with what so-and-so, this famous person. And here's the thing. Again, you read those tabloids. It's not, most of it is completely untrue, bold-faced lies, or just a little truth mixed with a bunch of lies. So you know, it's enough truth that you kind of think, really, did so-and-so, is she, did they, whatever? And mo- a lot of it, so much of it is just total bold-faced lying. But we, but we soak it in because it's just so fascinating to us and it's so hard to, to, to not listen to it. Proverbs says that gossip is like a tasty morsel that we, that we like to savor. It's like that we, we love to savor. So, you know, think about this. Gossip is like um, Grater's black raspberry chip ice cream. Now you're seeing now everybody wake, waking up. Ooh, black raspberry chip. What do you say? Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, but black raspberry chip ice cream, the, especially the first bite, okay? Any kind of graters, pick your favorite flavor, and you put that in your mouth. I'm just worshiping. My hand goes up as the spoon goes in my mouth. It's like, oh, I start praising God. And, and I'm not, this is not, and I'm not even black. I'm not saying, oh, look at him, you know, you know. No, no, I literally, I'm like, oh, my goodness. Whoever came up with that was inspired by God. Jesus was over him. And a little more of this, a little more of per- nah, good. That's enough, that's enough. Okay, black raspberry chip. That's what it's like. It's like, oh, it goes down. It's a tasty morsel, a tasty morsel. It goes down to your inmost being, right? It's like it's like Montgomery ribs, right, with that sauce. And you have those little uh, those little um, onion things you dip in there or those or those chips. You know what I mean? Mmm. you know, yeah, you, you don't leave yet because you stay here until lunch is later. And then or it's like um, you're maybe a steak or lobster person. That lobster, that, that hot lobster, you know, you get that butter, dip it in that butter, oh, buddy. And if you're from New York, it's like, 
If you're not, you don't know what cheesecake really tastes like, so just, you know, go in your bliss of, of unknowing. Um, but you, the New York style, if, if you don't have to lit, raise your elbow to stick your fork into the, into the cake to get it to, you know, get it off, it's not real cheesecake. You have to be able to put pr- pressure on it. And you put that bite in your mouth, and it's, oh, it's like a choice morsel, New York style cheesecake with the crumbs around the edge and the strawberries on top. That's what gossip is like. That's what gossip is like. It's like a feast of all the things you... And it's a... And you take it in. It says it's like a choice morsel. It goes down to the inmost parts. Not only does Proverbs warn us against the un, an unhealthy addiction to it or unhealthy attraction to gossip, it also warns us of the corrupting effect of gossip. That it has a corrupting, it has a corrosive, if you will, effect on our lives. It's not like those other foods. It's not like the good food, you know, you eat a lot of those, you probably wouldn't be looking too good either, but it's not like those. It actually, once it gets down into the inmost part of a person's life, it begins to corrode. It begins to corrupt the person. When we listen, when we just listen to gossip, it, it goes to our inmost parts. Gossip grips, grips and, it, and it destroys and it saturates our hearts, our minds, our spirits. It's like consuming poison. Tastes so, you know, you can't help almost the fascination with it. You can't help but listen or even, even do it. But then all of a sudden, it's like, it's like drinking poison. It destroys, it corrupts, it annihilates, it does all these things. It's like a corrupting disease that you take into your life. You ever, you ever get in a conversation you knew you shouldn't be in? I mean, you don't even start the conversation. You don't even want to be in the conversation, but you get in the conversation and bam, it has a corrupting effect on your life. You feel kind of dirty about it. Here's the thing. Here's the reality for us, for all of us in this room. Until we recognize what a, what a horrible, disgusting sin gossip is, we're never going to overcome it. Until we absolutely, really in our own hearts, recognize what a horrible, terrible nasty sin gossip is, we're never going to overcome it. You know what I find amazing too? And I'm, I mean, I'm not, I'm not standing preaching at you, okay? I'm not. But here's what amazes me. What amazes me is that we've all experienced people gossiping about us, right? Everyone's experienced that. And you know how much it hurts when someone even, especially someone close to you, gossips about you. But here's the reality, it doesn't, it doesn't sink in enough to our hearts and minds and souls to stop us from doing it most of the time. When it's somebody else, it just, it's like a two-year-old. You, you know, a two-year-old pokes you in the eye and it doesn't bother him. He doesn't understand why you're so upset about it. He takes a pencil and sticks it in your eye. He's like, what's the deal? Why, why are you crying? Why do you have to go to the doctor? I don't understand. You know, they don't understand it. You poke them in the eye, they get it. They understand that completely. They get poked in the eye. But poking you in the eye, they don't get it. It's like a two-year-old. We don't really get it. And we need to recognize what a horrible sin it is before we can truly deal with it and overcome it. Like all habits, like all habits, all of them, it's, it, it won't be easy to break. We have to try, but it won't be easy to break. But let me give you, some, let me give you uh, three suggestions to help set you on the right path. Okay, Three things that you can do to help overcome gossip. Number one, first, when, when, you, when you gossip, you, you need to realize um, that when you're gossiping, that is not the person that you were created to be or want to be. 
When you begin to gossip, when you gossip, you need to understand this is not the person that you were created to be or even want to be because negative, negative talk, negative and discouraging, being critical and negative is not a Christ-like quality. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and the goal is to be conformed to the image of Christ. So being critical and negative are not Christ-like qualities. So this is not the person you were designed or even want to be. That's number one. Number two, second, become, become a person, become a, a positive speaking person. Become a positive speaking person. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5, it says, take every thought captive. We talked about this in a different context about two months ago. But we need to take every thought, every thought captive. We need to own our thoughts. We need to take those thoughts captive. We need, to, we need to stop gossip at its source. And here's the source of gossip. It starts right here. So when those words start to form, when you're with someone and, you're, and you know, the negativity starts to come out, and I'm telling you, it's, a, it's almost it's a bad habit. You're around maybe some friends who are like this, and they sucked you in. You weren't negative and critical before, but you become negative and critical. You need to take those thoughts captive, and you need to, you need to begin speaking in positive terms. You need to start thinking in positive terms, replacing negative thoughts and negative words with positive thoughts and positive words. And I've used this verse before. I'm going to keep using this. I think it's so important that we ingrain it in our hearts, minds, and souls. It's Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. And it says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Most gossip is not excellent or praiseworthy or noble, or most of it's not even true. It's not pure. But that's what we're supposed to be thinking about. So when those thoughts come into your mind, you replace those thoughts with different thoughts that allow you to speak positively. Even if you have to say something that is difficult to say, even if it's true, if it's true, then go to the person and say it to them. And even if you're talking to someone and you need their, you want to you kind of talk about something specific, how to change something, make sure that the words you speak are positive that you're going to encourage and build that other person up, even though it's difficult and you want to see them change, that, that the discussion you should be having is in such a way that it helps build the other person up. Third, ask forgiveness for your gossip. Ask forgiveness. Ask God to forgive you first because that, that he's the first one you offended. And then ask the person to forgive you. Ask them to forgive you. So here's how we're gonna here's how we're gonna do this, and I'm gonna help you. See, I'm all about helping you. My whole life's about helping you and encouraging you. You know. So here's what we're gonna do. Here's how I'm gonna encourage you. I have the uh, this is called the um, the gossip jar. See how big this gossip jar is? Because and, and, and the lid comes off. So when you need to put the, the big wad in there, you can open the lid and stick it in there. Here's what we're gonna do. Every time you gossip this week. I'm going to go on vacation. No, we're going to use it for drilling wells in Nigeria. Okay, it's a gossip jar. Every every time you gossip this week, you have to put a dollar in there. Okay, so whenever you and and I what I would do if I were if you're living in a home with a few people, entrap them. You know, let them gossip, then catch them and then make them put a dollar. You know what I'm saying? I'm just I'm not just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Those poor children need clean water. So. Um, Hopefully we won't, we won't have much in there. That's just for me this morning. I'm just, no, I'm just kidding. 
um, a dollar. Now, some of you are thinking, last time we talked about negative words, only a quarter. Well, inflation, man, inflation, and plus, and plus gossip's nastier than some of the others that we were talking about. So, a dollar, you gossip. Some of you are going to bring in a big old, like, dinosaur choking wad of money and stick it in there. That's why there's a little hole there, but you can take the cop off and stick it in there. But that's how I'm going to, that's where we're going to help. So, this week, if you gossip, if you catch yourself gossiping, I'm telling you, when you write sermons like this, you get really sensitive. And this week, I was just talking to someone and everything. It wasn't terrible. But I walked away thinking to myself, gosh, that would, I would think that would fall into the category of gossip. So when, I, want, I want you to be thinking about it. Because unless you think about it, unless you're sensitive to it, unless your conscience is sensitive to the Holy Spirit, you may just be doing things not even recognizing that it's gossip. So that's something we're all going to work on together. All right. The last pressure is the pressure to conform. The pressure to conform. 2020 had a documentary in which they asked a group of, of, of teenagers this question. What do you see as the greatest problem facing teens today? Overwhelmingly, the answer was peer pressure. Overwhelming. Wasn't even close. Overwhelming peer pressure. Peer pressure. The pressure to conform. Peer pressure affects every single teenager. Well, because there's positive and negative, but it affects every single tenure. Now, some more than others, depending on what friend group that you have. But peer pressure is dominant in their lives. That, that, that pressure, it's really that pressure that causes someone who's normally kind of a strong person to go along with the thoughts and ideas of a group of people. It's that pressure. So you're, 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 you know, you're, you're, you're the kind of person who can stand up for themselves, but man, you get kind of pulled in and you start behaving according to the standards set by another group. And again, these standards may be good, but most of the time they're not good or they're self-destructive. I mean, it literally can destroy a person's life as you, as you kind of go, go along. The pressure to conform, though, okay, I'm going to kind of move it around here. The pressure to conform is not just uh, a teenage issue. Okay, adults, adults, we fall into the same category sometimes. I mean, we are, when it comes to building and defending our reputation, oh, come on, raise your hand on that one. And when it comes to wanting to be a part of a certain social circle, social status, raise your hand on that one. I've lived in Cincinnati since 1990, and I'm going to tell you, we are not, as adults in Cincinnati, this is a big deal to build and to hold a reputation and to make sure you're in the right social circles. We, we'd struggle with the same thing. Let me give you an illustration. I, I, I really like this. I found this. A very rich woman was uh, from a local garden club, had some studies done on her family tree. And, and before I move on, if you are not a very rich woman, it doesn't matter because poor people, middle class people, rich people, it just this is a good story. She was horrified to discover a distant relative had been a cattle thief, caught and hanged. She was also distressed because another relative out of her past was a murderer, captured, tried, and electrocuted. Being a lady of prestige and social standing, she couldn't admit to having unsavory characters like that in her background. She became very creative in her garden club presentation. When she came to the account of the cattle thief, she simply said, this relative died during a public ceremony when the platform in which she was standing gave way. I love that one. When she came to the murder, she said, he occupied the chair of applied electricity at one of the great public institutions of our land and died in the harness. 
So, you know, she here she is. She couldn't, you know, we want to make sure that we've got our we've got our status, we've built and we want to maintain our reputation and we want to be in a circle of certain people. And adults have the same issues. We have the same issues. The pressure to fit in, to build and defend your reputation can become all-consuming. It really can for all of us, teenagers and adults. It can become all-consuming. In, in the case of teens, though, social media has added a whole new layer. I don't think adults have the same amount of pressure on them when it comes to social media, when it comes to peer pressure, as the teenagers do. It's just, it becomes another layer of pressure that they have to end up dealing with. Let me give you an example. The National Center on Addiction and Substance Abuse at Columbia University does an annual survey on teens' attitudes uh, toward drinking and drug use. The report found something new and alarming. Teens who regularly use Facebook are much more likely than social network avoiders to drink, smoke, and use marijuana. And they're wondering, why why is that? Well, they they couldn't figure it out. The possible reason for that, they said, uh, is that the teens who use social media are likely to see images of their friends drinking and using drugs. So again, you have this social pressure. You see someone drinking, you see someone doing this, you see someone doing that, and all of a sudden, that's the norm of what my friends are doing. These are my Facebook friends, so if I want to fit in, if I want to go along, then I'm going to have to be doing the same things. And I'm not saying all the teens in this room. I'm saying, in general, people who use those types of things are using drugs more and drinking more. And, those, and that, the conclusion they came to is that they're under more social pressure. The pressure to fit in and do what everyone else is doing can become absolutely overwhelming, especially if you don't have a particular peer group that you're already connected to. If you're kind of on your own trying to find a group of friends, let me tell you something, moving into town and going to high school for the first time, you do not want to go in the hall alone. You do not want to sit and lunch by yourself. You don't want to be in class by yourself. You don't want to be by yourself, so you try to find a group of people. And when you try to fit into those norms, you're pulled into what they're involved in. Now, saying that, I understand the challenges that you all face, the pressures that you're under, and I am not playing this down at all. But I have to, I really have to ask the question and challenge some of the choices that you're making based upon the pressure that you're under. I would be wrong to stand up here and say, oh, it's so hard for you. I know it's hard, but it's you know, so difficult, hang in for dear life and leave it at that. No, I want to, I want to encourage, I want to challenge you a little bit this morning and the, challenge, the, the decisions you are making based upon the pressure that you are under. As adults and as students, shouldn't we all be following, trying to follow after the example of those heroes of the faith who came before us. Those who came before us, trying to live up to the the people who have found themselves in similar circumstances, I'll say. There are those in the Word of God who have found themselves in similar circumstances. Shouldn't we use them as an example and try to follow their example and make the choices that they have made? Remember we were talking this summer about the Babylonians uh, conquering the people of God and taking them into a captivity. So the Babylonians conquer, they take them into captivity, and, and some of those in captivity are children, um, you know, within the people who were taken into a captivity were children. Within, within the number of some of those children was a, was a person named Daniel. Now Daniel at the time that he was taken was a teenager. Some would say he, he's at a point in his life where he can be, he can be more influenced. He's at a very um, impressionable time in his life. 
So, so Daniel was educated, he was captured, and he was educated in what we would say is like the Harvard or Yale, whatever school you want to use, Harvard University of his day. He's taken to Babylon, if you will, university, and he's being trained to be a, a diplomatic servant, a diplomatic person, someone who's going to do, be in the service of diplomacy. So... Here, he, he, he finds himself in a group of people, okay, put in this situation in a school. All right, so you're sticking with me. So he's put in this situation in a school, and he finds himself in a situation that the people, everyone around him, does not have his religious views or his moral convictions. Sound familiar? He finds himself in a situation where there are a lot more people. He's outnumbered by these folks. They don't have his religious convictions. They don't have his moral views. And, 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 he, and he only has a few friends who are really sticking by him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He has just a few friends who are standing with him in, in this, what we would consider, humanism of his day. And so he's struggling, and, and he's trying to figure out how to do this. And, and he, they are, he and his three friends, they're outnumbered. They're completely outnumbered at their school. And the pressure... To, 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 to start living out a different worldview than the one that they have must have been absolutely enormous. Again, put yourself in his place. Sound familiar? You're surrounded by people who want you to live out a different worldview than the one that you have. See, I think many Christians of today would look at this situation if it were put in our modern time and say, yeah, you know what, I, I understand why they went along with the crowd. And it would be fine. Just, you know, I understand all that pressure. You just go along with the crowd. I mean, think about it. The, the pressure from his teachers alone to live a lifestyle according to his own desires for him would have been completely, I mean, it would have been enormous. The pressure would have been incredible. You think he had the choicest food at his disposal. He's, he's taken by the king. He's put in this university. He's surrounded by these folks. But here's what he has at his disposal. Think about the pressure here. He's got the finest food that you can possibly eat. But the kind of food they were serving was not the kind of food that he could eat. So, but he had it at his disposal. The, the, the finest of all foods, the choice morsels, whatever you want to call it. He had that. He had the best wine for his enjoyment. Anytime he, the best wine, the alcohol, man, there it was, for his enjoyment, not a little sip of dinner, not to have whatever. I mean, he had the wine, it was there, it was the king's palace. And don't you think that Daniel wasn't really tempted by all the beautiful women in the king's court? He had all these beautiful women around him. So he's got the best, of, he, got the, he got the alcohol, he got the sex, you have, and on top of that, think about this. Daniel's a young man. Young men, in general, have this desire to be successful. He's put in a position that if he becomes like first, second in his class, if he's in the top tier of his class, he gets a top government official, I mean a top government position, where he lives a life of, of, of a lavish life of affluence. So he's got, he's got like the pressure of, hey, you can, you can, be, you can, you can be rich, and um, he's got the pressure of you, the power thing, he's got sex, the sex pressure going on, he's got the drugs and alcohol thing going, all right there at his disposal. Sound familiar? Talk about, you talk about pressure. You talk about pressure. Daniel had more than his share, but somehow he managed to deal with it. Somehow he managed to overcome it. He, he would, it would have been so easy. It would have been so easy. And people would have said, yeah, I totally understand for him to succumb to the pressure. But he didn't. He didn't. 
He stood strong and fulfilled God's purpose for his life. You see, that's what the vision for the students here, that's what the vision of impact is all about. That's what the vision of impact groups are all about. Our students have to deal with this type of pressure every single day. So we've created these impact groups that will help them relieve some of that pressure. Impact groups help in a few ways. Impact groups help reverse peer pressure. It helps reverse peer pressure. Impact groups create an environment. It creates an environment for our students where the pressure to make the wrong choices are reversed. It creates, an, it creates an environment where our students have the opportunity and the option to make positive choices. They then become the influencers. They have a group of people around them. They are, they are surrounded. They have the support. They become the influencers. They become the people that, that, can, that can help. Impact groups help change people's lives, your friends' lives. Students are able to reach out to their friends who are struggling, Christian friends who are struggling, and also um, friends who are going through just difficulties, or maybe unchurched friends, and it allows them, it allows those students to impact their lives, to share the love of Jesus Christ. It allows them the, 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 the chance to do that. An impact group is a, is, is, a, is a strong group of peers standing together, It allows them to stand together to overcome all the things that they're going to face because, my friends, they're going to face it together. Listen, there's nothing if you're a student here together. There's nothing that you can't face and overcome. Together, there's nothing you cannot face and there's nothing you cannot overcome. We're never we're never going to know this, but I, I wonder how Daniel would have fared if he was all by himself. I mean, he had the Lord, obviously, so he probably would have done it. But I wonder how he would have fared if he, if he had to do it all by himself. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 12, it reminds us, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. You're by yourself, you're vulnerable. You stand together, not so much. You can defend each other. You can support each other. You can stick up for each other. You can come around each other. As I was reading that verse once again, this illustration came to my mind. In the movie The Gladiator, General Maximus is betrayed and enslaved. And as the movie goes on, he's sold, as a, he's sold into slavery. and he, he finds himself as a gladiator in the Roman Colosseum surrounded by 50,000 Romans screaming. He and a group of other slaves are put in a situation, an impossible situation, where they have to reenact a a, a lost battle, an impossible battle, the Battle of Carthage. And so they find themselves in the middle of the the Roman Colosseum, and they're just kind of they're just kind of standing around and they're, and they're looking around and all a bunch of individuals and, 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 they're, and they're overwhelmed and they're, they're, they're kind of waiting for this to see what horror is going to come out of those gates and destroy them. And General Maximus says to the men around him, has anyone been in the army? And all these individuals, you hear, I have, I serve with you here. He said, I can use you. And he says, We have the best chance of survival. Whatever comes out of those gates, we have the best chance of survival if we stand together, if we work together. If we stay together, we survive. 
If we work together, we survive. And so he begins to, to rally the men together. And as they, as they stare out at those gates, the gates fly open and the chariots come out. All these chariots come out and they've got, they've got, um, they've got blades on their wheels and they've got people who are all in armor and they have, and they have arrows. And as, as the chariots come out of the gates, the people who are still standing by themselves are quickly eliminated. They're quickly killed. They're cut down. But Maximus, Maximus says, says to his men, come together, come together, he says, come together. And they come together. And he says to, to take their shields, use your shields. He tells them to lock their shields and stay as one. Lock your shields, stay as one. And as they're, as they're surrounded, they come together and they put their shields down. They're shooting arrows into the shield, but they're together. They're as one. And the chariots are going around trying to figure out a way to get into that group so they can kill every person in there. And as the chariots get closer with their blades on their wheels spinning, they come together and, and Maximus's men have spears. And as they get closer and closer, he yells all at once, as one, as one, and he holds it and they hold their spears and the chariot hits the spears and it flips over and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, they go on offensive. Those who were supposed to be destroyed, those who were supposed to be overwhelmed, all of a sudden, they go on the offensive and those who are coming around begin to be confused and out of sorts. And he says, one co- single column, single column. And he starts, he takes his men together, working together, and they end up winning that battle. They end up winning that battle. They stand together when you are facing what seems to be impossible or overwhelming odds. The only way you survive is to stand together as one. You need to stand together as one. I made myself a a t-shirt here as an illustration for you. But in order for you students, in order for you to survive, in order for you to make it through all the pressure that you're facing, you need to stand as one. You need to stand as one. You cannot be an individual in this world and go through your life and survive. The body of Christ needs to stand together as one. You need to hold each other up. You need to stand strong. Come together as one. Hold, hold your position as one. And together you can succeed. Here's how I'd like to close out. Because we need to stand as one as a body around our students. They are under tremendous pressure. Pressure that most of us have even forgotten about. What it's like to go to a lunchroom by yourself. What it's like to be new in a school. What it's like to have your friends that you've been with since junior high all of a sudden go off and start doing things that you don't want to be a part of. That you don't want in your life, but they're your friends. And what are you going to do? How are you going to deal with that? They're out going partying and doing all this kind of stuff. And that's something against what you feel you're called to do by God. The pressure that they're under is enormous. What I'd like you to do, if you're in high school or junior high, if you would, I know... I had the first group come up front, but I'll do it different in second service. If you're in junior high or high school, could you just stand, just stand up and stay standing? Just, just stand up. I'm not going to ask you to say anything, I promise. I'm just going to ask you to stand. Stand up if you're in you're junior high or high school. A whole bunch of people. Awesome. Yes, yes, yes. Awesome. 
standing up. These people are under incredible pressure and they need to stand as one. They need to come together as one. And we need to surround them with prayer and encouragement as one body. So I'd like the rest of you to stand up. See the high school students around you? Go around them. Go around them. Surround them. All of you. No one should be staying in their seat. Get around any high school student that you see. If you see a pile of people, the high school students in the middle, just go with them. Follow the crowd, my friends. <laughs> Awesome. Now, if you would, let's just pray for our students. Let's pray for their, for their lives and their safety and this, the support. Lord God, we thank you for these students. God, we thank you for their lives and their desire to serve you. To be one with you. Your word says in, in John chapter 17, in verse 11. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Father, we pray that our students would be one as you are one, facing this incredible challenging world, the pressures, the difficulties. God, we pray that you give them strength like you gave Daniel and his friends. They were no older, Lord God. We pray that you would give them that kind of strength, that they would be able to come together and support each other and love each other and encourage each other. God, give them the strength to overcome the pressure of being pulled and asked to do things that go against a worldview that they hold. Being asked to agree with things that they can't agree with. Father, hold them together. May they take the shields that you have given them and stay together as one. Fending off the enemy. Fending off the pressure. God, they can't do it alone. They need your help and they need the help of those around them. And may the fact that we surround them this morning give them encouragement, knowing that we love them and we trust them and we support them and we know the struggles they face, Lord God. We give them to you. We put them in your hands as warriors and not victims. We pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Have a wonderful week.